Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. As we adapt in this season of pandemic, we are meeting in our house churches in person and online as a primary space for worship, formation, connection, and encouragement. Teachings like this are one way we engage with scripture seeking to become more like Christ. These teaching podcasts also serve as a conversation starter for deeper engagement at House Church. We're glad you're listening. We are on the march towards spring and Easter. Can I get an amen? Uh, I'm so glad we didn't have to make the call today to say we're canceled because of the snow. It feels really good to actually see the sun shine out today. But we find ourselves here in the first Sunday of Lent. And Lent mirrors the 40 days of rain in the time of Noah, the, the, the great flood. It mirrors the 40 years in the wilderness of the people of God, Israel. The 40-day fast of Jesus and the temptation in the wilderness, just to name a few. Uh, however, you won't find Lent in the Bible, but Lent is old. Um, by 330 AD, that's a long time ago, a Lenten season of a 40-day fast was commonplace in the early church. And historically, this season was one of preparation for baptism. This was a way for the church to enter into the life and the rhythm of what it felt like to be with Christ on the journey to the cross. And so baptisms would happen. And in some Christian, uh, in some faith communities today, baptisms still happen on Easter Sunday. But Easter Sunday is a day when we celebrate our baptism, that we have, regained, that we have gained life because of Christ's work on the cross. And so these next 40 days are preparation days for us. We will prepare for Easter, we will prepare for spring, and we will prepare for resurrection along with millions of other Christians worldwide. And so Lent is a season of fasting, and fasting has been a really big part of Lent. And this is practiced by a way that the church has entered into for thousands of years, that we ask the Holy Spirit to uncover the places and ways where we need to repent and believe the good news again. This is not bad. Uh, Wesley, John Wesley, one of the great reformers, uh, he actually expected that followers of Jesus to fast. Believe it or not, that Jesus expected his followers to fast too. And so fasting is a part of the tradition of Lent. And for many of us, we've been forced into a year of fasting. And this has been a long year. We've come to a place, many of us, where we feel like if we're asked to give up one more thing, we may finally lose it. And so this is where we are as Lent begins. In fact, in some ways, it feels like Lent never ended. The pandemic began halfway through Lent or as a part of a Lent, and it has just continued to go forward. But Lent this year begins in the throes of a harsh winter, a harsh political season, a harsh pandemic. The longings that we have for meals with friends, for hugs, for family, for face masks to be gone, uh, not to be using hand sanitizer ad nauseum. Many are facing hardships, whether financially, emotionally, or relationally. Friends, we've given up much in this season. And it begs to ask the question, haven't we given up enough already? And some of us in this season feel hopeless, like hope is very far away. 
Some of us gathered and we asked a question a few back in early January. What if we observed Lent a bit differently this year? So what if we took Lent and threw in some Pentecost and mixed it up and came up with Lentecost? And the heresy is going to keep coming. Um, But this year, instead of fasting, or for some of you who already entered into a season of fasting, we want to pair that. We want to see Lent as a time of deep discipleship, not by letting things go, but by picking up practices, by finding ways to collaborate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our life with God and in our life with others. We want to see the community continue to say, what if Lent was a season that we stirred up kingdom mischief? Whether by joining a prayer call, having a waffle food truck parked outside your home, starting a new practice, Uh, walking together, exercising, connecting with friends and neighbors, reading through the gospels, practicing silence, creating art, poetry, or cooking really good food, to do all these things for the glory of God. And our prayer is that during the season that God would realign our attitudes, that we would align with the work that Christ is already up to in us and through us. Christ has not taken a break in this season. And some of us have, and that's okay, because we serve a God who loves us and gets stoked when we decide to come home and join in and have our lives aligned with him. But our prayer is that we would be a people of holy courage, sowing into the super bloom. So this is a really long intro for our Lenten series on the Beatitudes, Blessed to Bless. And so we want to recalibrate our being, our church, as we circle around Jesus's prophetic declaration of who we are in relationship to Christ the King and his kingdom. And the Beatitudes are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's most famous teaching. Many of us had read them over and over, and it was so good to hear Bill from memory recite the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount when we think back to many years ago in the smelly old gym that day when Bill stood up and preached the Sermon on the Mount to us from memory. But I want to remind us and warn us, the Beatitudes are not a spiritual checklist. And it's not just an expose on ethics and how we should conduct ourselves. But it's proclamation and promise. It is our identity as followers of Jesus. When the rough things, when things get rough and they feel out of control, like many of us have experienced in these last few days, like in these last few months, in this last year, like many of us may be experiencing walking into this place, we might feel out of control. We need to be reminded of whose we are and of who we are. And the Beatitudes are that place that recalibrates our soul to remind us again who we are and whose we are. I got new tires on my truck just a a week or so ago. And um, when I took my car into the shop, the guy said, these tires are too big. And I'm like, there's no such thing as tires too big for a truck. I mean, come on now. He said, no, they're really too big. Like, we're going to have to change your tires. I'm going to have to recalibrate your whole car. And so the Sermon on the Mount is like that. It's changing the tires, but what happens, it recalibrates everything. When we remember again who we are and whose we are, our life changes deeply. And so we are going to read them slowly, or better yet, we're going to have them read us slowly over the next eight weeks. 
We long to hear these words and to have these words planted to grow deep roots and to bloom in our lives in a season where the world around us is desperately longing for hope and new life. And one of the ways that we're gonna do that is we wanna look at them in a chiastic way. And so some of you may be thinking, he's lost it. We don't even know what that word means. He probably made it up. I did not. Um, And I'm gonna get into what chiastic means. But essentially it's this. As Westerners, when we read a list, we go top to bottom, bottom to top, or side to side. We, We sort of are, we're very linear in our thinking. And so what chiastic way sees is they see pairs that move towards the middle or one and seven and two and eight and three and nine sort of have this way of connecting together. To the Greeks and the ancients, to the writers of scripture, a chiastic way of hearing and reading made a lot of sense. Many of the Psalms, some scholars say the entire book of Leviticus is written in a chiastic way. And it's written way, and what I'm saying is this is not the right way to read the Beatitudes. We're going to unlock a whole series of of ideas and thoughts, but I'm saying this is a way for us to shift it and to have it read us again a little bit differently. And so this is what it looks like, as you can see. The first and the last. So blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. We're going to pair those together and then each one moving towards the middle. And the, and the thesis of the Beatitudes, as some folks have mentioned, is in, the begin, is in the middle, where blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and blessed are the merciful. And it, it inspires and incites, it reminds people of the beauty of the psalm, as the psalmist wrote and said, where righteousness and mercy kiss, in the person of Jesus. And so I'm going to start today with looking at 1 and 8. Y'all with me? Okay, some of you are. So to begin, the Beatitudes, I wanna place this in context. As we begin in the beginning in the message of Jesus, the first message that Jesus proclaimed was this. It's found in Matthew 4, 17. It's very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And this happened, and Jesus began to call the disciples. And we see sort of this march. As soon as he makes this proclamation statement, this good news statement, this gospel statement, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, the miracles start to happen. He starts touching people who are untouchable. He starts uh, bringing back into right relationship those who've been far away. We begin to see healing and miracles, and Christ is doing this incredible work of restoring what was broken. And then we come to the Sermon on the Mount, and we come specifically to the Beatitudes. And let's read. If you have your Bibles, open up um, Matthew 5, 1 through 10. And now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." The reading of the word. So the Beatitudes, along with most of Jesus' teaching, they disrupt the general prevailing assumptions and point to the way of the kingdom and to the heart of our king. 
And I want us to pause and I want us to notice something right in the beginning. It's very simple, and it's very simple for us to miss. Jesus sits down. He doesn't stand. He doesn't find a pulpit or a lectern, but he sits. He sits with the crowd of people that he has touched, that he has hugged, that he has healed, that he has forgiven, that he has driven demons out of. And he speaks from the crowd to the crowd that God in flesh gets his hands dirty with the people that the world calls unblessed. Jesus, God with us, is touchable, accessible. And I just imagine this moment when he begins to launch into the Beatitudes, that he is making eye contact with those whose secret sin was found out and forgiven. As he looks into the eyes of the desperate person who finally was touched for the first time because of leprosy or some disease that kept them away, he looked at, he had eye contact with the desperate ones who lost so much. He saw and nodded to those whose lives were destroyed by oppression, poverty, bad choices, greed, lust, and selfishness. And he touched the unclean. And this pairs a lot. There's this beautiful similarity between this Sermon on the Mount and the law that's given to Moses on the Mount. But I want us to look at the contrast. God gives Moses the law on the Mount in this pillar of smoke. And when the law, the flesh and blood, the covenant of God given to humanity comes, that Jesus is present, that he's accessible, that he is there. These blessings are pure gifts from God. The kingdom of heaven is a radical upside down understanding of blessedness. The ordinary, the unblessed, and the unblessable are the ones who are blessed to be a blessing. Those with sand in their pockets and empty bank accounts are the ones that Jesus says, blessed, blessed, blessed. And so Jesus begins, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Literally, poverty-stricken in spiritual things people. And so he blesses the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, the deprived and deficient, the spiritual beggars, those without a whisper of religion. When the kingdom of heaven comes upon them, Jesus says they are blessed. And what is it that makes these unblessed people blessed? It's the presence of Jesus. And if we just read the Gospels, any of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, we see Jesus welcoming the weary and the overworked, including the foreigner in the family of God, the wayward son and daughter that he goes after, the prostitute, the possessed, the oppressed, and the abandoned, the strung out and the high strung, the adulterer, the cheater, the cynic, the skeptic, the dreamer, and even those in high standing. Because you and I, brothers and sisters, are among these. We are blessed because of the presence of Jesus. I want you to breathe that in. You are blessed because of the presence of Jesus. And as we look at the eighth of these Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
as an American white male in the suburbs, I don't have much of a leg to stand on to talk about persecution. I feel more like a camel passing through the eye of a needle, but I'm grateful that with God, nothing is impossible. But if we had our partners from India and Indonesia, if we had the pastors that we have supported from the Hall of Tyrannus who are sitting in here with us today, we would hear stories upon stories of people, brothers and sisters, who have, who have faced the threat of persecution on a daily basis. Some who have lost it all. They've lost their family. They've lost their standing in society. They've lost their homes, even their lives. And yes, I may have been ribbed a few times for being a pastor. There are some friends that call me reverend and things like that in spite, but that's not persecution. But I do wonder if at the heart of this, this passage for us today as people who haven't experienced this kind of persecution are that this is really a proclamation that says this, those who are in relationship with me, those who have tasted and seen this love that I have poured out, you will not fit in. You will not fit into a culture. You will not fit into a city. And you will struggle to fit into the box that the world around you tries to put you in. Because I will transform your heart. Your taste buds will change. What you see will change. What your heart longs for will change as you continue to follow me. Life will be moving against the stream and current because the blessed life, this kingdom life, is not easy. Suffering is around every corner, and it's a part of it. But so is joy and the joy of blessing those who curse you. The kingdom is not for consumers, but it's for servants willing to say yes to Jesus. And so those who are poor in spirit, they experience grace upon grace, restored identity as the beloved children of God. And the persecution comes because of the righteousness that Jesus blesses us with, that we become free people. And free people are dangerous people because there's not a care in the world. Because this righteousness, what God does through the death of Jesus on the cross, makes us in right standing with God. And this is where our holy courage comes from. This is where we become rewired for the kingdom. This is what we hear stories about year after year after year at our baptisms. The overlap or the pairing of these two beatitudes come as we look at the promise after the proclamation of the blessing, that the kingdom is theirs, that the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign that we are the shalom people. We are part of this revolution and the revolution will not make the front page. The kingdom of God will come to the dark places and to the abandoned. It comes in cups of cold water to the poor, but it's a life of hilarious generosity when we have nothing, but you will have joy even in the midst of sorrow. And my friends, my brothers and sisters, we are part of this kingdom now and we need to be reminded today that we are blessed, that we are part of this eternal kingdom. And I want us to just take a moment and to think back to the proclamation of the good news of Jesus, his first message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so we're reminded that we are part of this kingdom through repentance and all of us come to the king, every single one of us have come to Jesus the same way, through repentance. 
This blessed life is not one that we ever gain or earn, but it comes through Christ's ultimate victory on the cross. We come to Jesus confessing, and for many of us, there are obstacles in this season to our confessing. To name the prevailing ones in our midst today, it's fear, it's pride, it's anger. We're afraid. We're afraid of being found out. We're afraid of an angry God. We're afraid that what we have to give up, the things that we are called to give up that we think actually give us life or are giving us death, are, are killing us. Our pride stands in the way. And we know that pride is there when we think about those who think differently than us on whatever matter and we call them cursed. Our anger has burned against our brothers and sisters, whether in the room, in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our country. But to belong to the kingdom is to align our hearts with the one who blesses. And we repent and we follow. And the blessing is never from the place of earning. It's not from a stance of earning, but it's from a posture of repentance. And so the Beatitudes begin as Lent begins. They begin in repentance. And repentance in our day is a four-letter word. It's a sign of weakness. It's a sign that I don't have what it takes in self-sufficiency or in funds to make things right. It's a call to look at our sin again, to be reminded that we need Jesus and his kingdom to come here and now in our lives. I'm convinced that if we seek Jesus, kingdom will be the byproduct and will be in the wake of our movement. If we seek kingdom principles, we're gonna miss the mark. Church, it has to be about Jesus. It has to be about Jesus. This season of Lent is our way of focusing and fixing our eyes on the person of Christ. So here is the good news for us on the first Sunday of Lentecost. You and I are sinners. We have broken the heart of God. Sin has wrecked our life and its power is wrecking the world around us. Relationships are suffering. People are suffering. Things are not looking good. But sin does not have the final word because Jesus invites us into repentance to confess our sin, whether it's pride, fear, lust, anger, self-protection, that we come to the foot of the cross as spiritually poor people to see what it really means to be the blessed people who are asked to co-labor with Christ in his kingdom. And so, Renew, I want to ask you today, would you repent with me? for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so the questions that must be asked for today is this, where has our commitment to Jesus grown dull? Where has sin seductively crept into your life? I pray that we are never a church, never become a church that shies away from talking about sin, but we must talk about resurrection when we talk about that too. But would we come to this place? Would we come to a posture of repentance today? Renew, would you repent with me? Would you boldly approach the throne of grace and cry for mercy? Will you come to the table remembering your sin? Will you repent, bringing all of who you are, the good, the bad, the ugly to Jesus and placing our lives at his feet? Will you invite the spirit to expose sin 
and trust in the resurrection power of Jesus to transform you again. Brothers and sisters, you are blessed and yet you are set apart to bless others. And some of us need rewiring and all of us need rewiring. So our journey begins here with Jesus' proclamation of the good news. You who are poor in spirit are blessed. You who say yes to Jesus, your whole life's gonna get turned upside down. But you are blessed. Would we be people that repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.